This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on Matthew 16, 13 to 28. We examine Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. Together, we will be discussing the importance of knowing who Jesus is. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano podcast back with you this week. And just as a quick reminder, uh, last week we looked at two different conversations uh, with Jesus, one with the Pharisees and one with his disciples. Uh, Both of those conversations, though, pointing us towards the importance of recognizing Jesus in the world, recognizing who he is and where he is and helping others to do the same. And uh, this week, as we uh, continue on in the narrative in Matthew 16, uh, we're going to be jumping back into an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, where the disciples declare who Jesus is, and then Jesus, in response, indicates to them uh, what that identification means for all of them, both himself and, and them as well. And so today, uh, I believe we have Natasha reading. So Natasha, would you read for us the passage? Yes. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right. Thank you for that reading. There's Definitely a lot that we can be talking about here. Uh, I mean, the passage is is long in its own right, and there's just a lot of different ways that we can go. So uh, what are we seeing? What do you guys want to talk about with this? 
I guess one of the first things that I wrestled with was um, this conversation where, so so Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? Um, And Peter responds um, and has this uh, response that really wows Jesus. Uh, And Jesus responds by saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And so I wrestled with that a little bit, I think because the sign of Jonah was so fresh in my mind from our conversation just last week. And then we had we had had this conversation also a couple of episodes before this. And so the, that idea of the son of Jonah, um, I don't know, it just it's stuck out to me. And so I, I did a little bit of digging into this and uh, it seems like uh, Simon Peter, his father, his name was John. Right. And I know that there's some debate as to whether or not Jonah could be similar to John, but most of the languages, the the biblical languages, they have Jonah as being something that's totally separate from John. And so it really doesn't make sense that those would be used interchangeably uh, here. And so, I don't know, it got me thinking, well, maybe that has something to do with the sign of Jonah that was talked about previously, in which case it kind of runs the whole passage together really well because Jesus is calling him the son of Jonah, who we just talked about is representative of this idea of death and then three days later rise from the dead, right? Three days later come out of this this fish. And so calls him the son of the person who does this and then goes on to talk about how Peter is the foundation for the church. And so it's like in that moment, Jesus almost says, Hey, I am the sign of Jonah, right? He's identified himself as the Messiah, as the sign of Jonah. And now he's saying, Peter, you are going to be the son of this sign. And so it's just, he's kind of beginning to teach Peter the way of the cross, and then you see this hashed out then starting in verse 21 where he really, Jesus really begins to teach, teach the cross. And uh, so that was something I think that I wrestled with a little bit in the beginning uh, as we were looking at this passage. So one thing that I would kind of tack on to that based on where you ended uh, there what is back when we were having a conversation on, I think it was chapter 14, we talked about... Um, <clears throat> The, the two different messages that Jesus had in his ministry, one of them being uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then the other being the way of the cross and like working towards that um, and how there's this transition point. And, and we, we kind of began to hint at it in, in chapter 14, but I think here in chapter 16, like we see that hard pivot. We see that turn where Jesus now up to this point has been... Um, living out his ministry and, and drawing people to him and people have been flocking to him. And there is this like official recognition of who he is. You are the Messiah. And then in response to that now, like, so Jesus has been teaching about what the kingdom looks like a lot. I mean, that's what we've been talking about in a lot of our podcasts to this point is like, this is what it looks like to exist in the kingdom. This is what it looks like to participate in the kingdom. And now I've been identified as the Messiah. This is what that looks like. And now there's this hard turn from this is what it looks like to be in the kingdom to 
this is what it looks like to be the Messiah pointing towards the cross. And so this Messiah that he begins to reveal is a Messiah that's quite different than what the disciples were anticipating. Right. They were looking for a conqueror. The Pharisees and Sadducees were looking for a conqueror, and that's why Jesus didn't really fit the bill, which is why they were so quick to reject him as the Messiah. And so if if these people are going to be the son of this sign of Jonah, if they're going to be the the foundation of the church, they really have to have a solid grasp on who Jesus is and what it means to be the Messiah mm-hmm. so that they can carry that the proper message forward to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> and I think like, that is why there there were more responses when he asks the first question, who do people say that I am? Because there were so many thoughts about who Jesus is, but there was only one thought from God that, that God gave Peter about who Jesus truly is. So despite what everybody else thought, you know, he's he's a prophet, he's this, he's that, he's not any of those things. He he is and he's not. Like he he is those things, but he's far greater than any of those things. And the role that he's come to fulfill is one that they couldn't even imagine. And so I think like as we go down and Jesus really begins like so you recognize who I am, and this is what it means because I who I am. Like this is what I've come to do. This is the mission that I've been sent on to to f- fulfill to 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 be able to you know uh, reconcile humanity back to God. And so Peter goes from being the the rock, the foundation, to the stumbling block. Um, it's ironic that he, he does like, I know that rhymes, but like, it's, it's just ironic that you can go that quickly from being something that's so foundational to like what, what God wants to do in the church to being someone that if you're not careful, you'll be the demise of the church. Um, and it's kind of ironic, like, uh, Jesus kind of addresses Peter, like he did, uh, Satan when he was tempted. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's. That's what it, you know, as I was studying, that was something that was pointed out in the commentary, and I was like, you know what, that's that's true. Like, I hadn't even made that connection before, but Peter's kind of being referred to in the same way as, as Satan because, you know, it's it's almost like a temptation to, to try to steer Jesus, like, from, like, this is my objective. No, 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 that can't be it. Like, there's no way that God would do that. Well, it is. And so it's just ironic how you can go from, being something so foundational and so important that, that God's going to use to to build the church on, and you quickly turn around and you've become the opposite. I, I think there's actually, even in the text, a Jesus reveals how that happened for Peter. Um, and so that was the thing that really grabbed me about the difference of like Peter's interaction in the first one versus the second one. So in this first section where Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus says, that was like God who gave you that thought. Um, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So this isn't your own thinking. Like this is you hearing from the Father who I am. Moment by moment. And then, so when Peter's hearing from the Father... He's the rock. Then we go to the next section and he challenges Jesus and, and Jesus is like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, 
uh, be raised to life. And Peter says, never, Lord. And crazy thing, Peter, in, in the NIV, it says he began to rebuke him. That's a pretty strong word. It's actually the same word that is used when Jesus rebukes demons inside of people. <laughs> so like Peter's really on it right now. Um, Peter rebukes him and Jesus's response to this rebuke is, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so in the first section, we have Peter listening to God, speaking to him, and then speaking as a result of what he is hearing. And in the second section, we have Peter running ahead of God and speaking out of his own thoughts and feelings and emotions and understanding. And in the first instance, he's praised as the as the rock that the church can be built on. And in the second instance, he is um, corrected and, and identified as a stumbling block and even called Satan. And this is why it's so important to hold every thought captive. Every thought. Every thought. Well, and the thought he has is not a not a bad thought. Most people would think it's when, not bad. Yeah, when you look at it, you're, he's saying, oh, no, that, that cannot happen to you. He's, he's saying, no, you're not going to die. Right. That is what, I mean, if I'm thinking that the man that I'm following that is as close to God that I've ever been is telling me, oh, I'm going to die, I'm gonna, absolutely, I'm, no way, that cannot happen. So his his comment is not something that's totally out there and something that you would necessarily think is, you know, bad, but that's kind of, if you're not thinking the way of the father, if you're not think, if you're not holding your thoughts captive, even the good intention things that you were saying may not be the things that God wants you to say. Well, and, and, and if you're viewing like your, your savior, your Messiah from the way, like the majority of the Israelites would have viewed him, like, then you're going to think, well, no, you're never going to like, this is not going to be the way you're going to die. So you go from like the thought was given to him by God. But that doesn't mean that he still thought the same way that God thought. And so mm-hmm. I would say, like, when we come down to this, it, like he did get the thought from God, absolutely. But his idea and God's idea were... were, And so for me, it's like Jesus is just calling out, like, yes, God gave you the thought, but what you're thinking is not what God has given me. It's something different. And so mm-hmm. it's just... Uh, for me, like I, I, that's what sticks out to me in that is that it's very possible that he had the thought in his mind, like, okay, all right, you're the you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, and his idea of saving looked different than God's. And this is this is well, if this is the first time that Jesus like rec- like it's recognized who he is, and and also that, that he's his first time of sharing his death to come. And so it's just an opportunity for him to teach, uh, as harsh as we may see it. But like, if your kid does something like the first time you're trying to correct it the first time, and while it may seem harsh, I just think it's Jesus' way of trying to like, uh, you know, squash that thinking um, before they go any further so that they understand. Um, And, you know, Peter just happens to be the guy that the, the tough teachings come through. But, you know... Also, there's probably a reason, because maybe Peter could handle it better than everybody else. I was just thinking about his resiliency. Like, we have bashed on Peter quite a bit here. Um, but there must be the a reason. Weeks. There must be. Yeah. 
I said he uh, on Sunday. I said he must. He's the bold one. He's the one that has the most like gumption to get up and do stuff. He was the one who was willing to get out in the water. He was the willing to stand up and say, "This is who I think you are." Um, he he's just he's the bold one, and unfortunately, sometimes the bold ones are the ones who run ahead. get the brunt of it. And I think this question is so so important. I mean, it w- it's important for the disciples here. Um. And as you point out, Derek, even though like Peter has the right title to assign to Jesus, he maybe has a misunderstanding of the definition of that title uh, as a result of his like background and upbringing and, and tradition. Um, and so Jesus then addresses that that wrong thinking associated with the title um, to help him redefine and, and truly understand what it means for him to be the Messiah, but. This is this question that Jesus asks is is foundational because as a result of the que- like Peter identifying Jesus as the Messiah leads to Peter challenging Jesus in his message of the cross because he thinks no there no you're the Messiah like there's no way you're going to die I need like that's wrong and also it leads to Peter drawing a sword and cutting somebody's ear off. That's what I was thinking right. about too. Right? Like it, it, what, what Peter understands about Jesus results in Peter's actions. So, and what, what Peter thinks Jesus is, what Peter thinks Jesus should be acting like, how Peter thinks Jesus should behave. Like this question is foundational to the, action and interaction of the disciples with the rest of the world. Right. And it's the same thing for us today. Like this question, when we gather as a church, um, when we gather in our encounter groups that we do as a church in, in midweek, like this is a question that we allow Jesus to ask us because we recognize that what we think about Jesus affects like, how we behave, affects mm-hmm. how we behave. It affects how we think Jesus works in the world. It affects uh, how we think about Jesus, how we think Jesus thinks about things. And this, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a popular question. It's this, this encounter is easy for us to read quickly through. I think if we've grown up in the church for a while, because it's a popular conversation, I mean, Oh yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, uh, obviously, but it is, it is a foundational question that each of us need to make sure that we are allowing Jesus to ask us on a daily basis because what we think, what we identify Jesus as is going to impact everything, as you're saying, Natasha. It'll, it'll impact what we think he thinks about. Yeah. Uh, what what we think he wants us to do or yep. behave, how he wants us to behave. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And I, I love, like, how it transitions from here. So, like... Jesus has set up who he is, um, and we've we understand like what is going to take place that his life is going to come to an end, but he doesn't leave it there. Like he he's essentially, from my perspective, calling them to say, "Hey, like this is who I am, and this is the life that that I've been called to, and I'm asking you to do the same." Mm. And like now, it's it's now like the decision is yours. This is what it means to be a follower of me. Are you going to, are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to die 
in this, not necessarily in the same manner, but for some, it was going to be similar. Um, but are you willing to do the same? So for me, it's, I feel like he's done a great job of setting it up. I am the Messiah, as God has shown you, as God has told you. I've, I'm going to die a death, regardless of whether you think that's the right way or not. This is what it means to be the Son of God. This is what it means to be this Messiah. And now there's a cost associated. Now, he, he's essentially, from my perspective, put the ball back in their court. Mm. Are you willing to do this? So when you were saying that, the thing that hit me, Jesus invited each of these men into a relationship with three simple words, come follow me. And each of them went and followed it. And, and I think I've always looked at that first interaction as, man, this is so brave of all of those men to do something like that because like, they don't know this guy and they're walking away from family. They're walking away from professions. But when I think about their initial calling in light of this second calling, I'll call it, (laughs) that calling seems a lot easier because then there was like this promise of, well, this rabbi is inviting us along for a journey. And so like, let's see where this ride goes. Now they're at a place where Jesus says, this is where the ride is going. You've been following me. I'm inviting you once again. Come follow me. It leaves you at this place where, so he's asked them who, who, if they understand who he is and they've got that part right, but then he's got to redefine that for them. And it got me thinking, how many times do I get maybe who Jesus is, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm always allowing the space for him to redefine my Mm. preconceived notions about what that means about him. Mm, That's good. I think that's one of the hardest things about like growing up in church is that like when I started like the master's program through Melvern and when I started that, I took a lot of preconceived notions and presuppositions into things, into scripture. Um, and Nick, you and I, like I even like had questions like mm-hmm. a, as I went along. And so I, I, like I look at some new faces that we have in, in our body. And like, it seems like it's far easier for someone who comes in with like limited, like thinking and maybe it gets harder as they go along. But I feel like, man, like God is always trying to do that. Like always trying to like, like, this is what you've thought. This is what you've understood. But like, I'm calling you to something different. So I I think that's a, a great point that you make there, Natasha. In the NLT, the, the words that really speak to me is um, you must give up your own way. And I've always like focused on that whole take up your cross and follow me. I've kind of, I usually in my mind skip over that you must give up your own way. Um, But that's, I feel like the foundation of this conversation, he's telling, you know, Jesus is responding to Peter as he, after he rebukes him and telling him, this is how, this is how you be a follower and you must give up your own way. And I think about the times that I have had those preconceived notions and those thoughts about this is the way that God's going to do this. Like this makes sense. Um, and I get disappointed when things don't go that way. Um, but 
And, but like I said, so I feel like this is really the foundation. You must give up your way. Yes. Take up your cross and follow him. But we, it's really hard. I think for us to take away, strip down the things that we've put on ourselves, that we've put on God and put those aside and just go where he goes. Mm. I think a lot of times we don't even realize that we hold preconceptions. Mm -hmm. I don't think we even see them. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's the issue here with the disciples is they don't, Oh yeah, we get it. You're the Messiah. Mm. So there, because you don't even see it as improper understanding, you don't even leave space. Well, because sometimes our thoughts are very much similar to Peter's. They're good intended. Mm -hmm. They're they're good intended thoughts and they're good intended, intended, um, you know, notions that, okay, somebody's sick. God, I see the best thing to do is to heal them. Um, but that's not always how it works. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's sometimes I think how we, I've experienced hurt by thinking, why did he let that happen? But we have no idea. We just have to give up our way, take up our cross mm-hmm. and follow. It kind of brings up this con- this question, I feel like, that's really, I would say a lot of people outside the church wrestle with it, but it's it's people inside the church mm-hmm. too. Like, how can a good God allow bad things to continue to happen? And, you, you know, we make, we, we say things like, well, there's, there's, there's free choice and he's given us choice. And so there's going to be sin in the world and we're fallen. But ultimately it's this idea idea of his ways are higher than his ways or his ways are higher than My our ways. Are higher yeah. than your thoughts. And so it's, we may never understand, which is really kind of hard. I mean, there's things I think in life where you can look back on and you can go, you know what? I missed that there. I, I had a different definition than God did about this particular situation or event. But then there's other times we go through life and you don't ever get those answers. You just have to sit in the why, and that's where you have to have faith and believe and trust that that the God of creation really does care more about all of this than we could ever conceive. That's a really hard conversation, too, because I remember having, when I we first came to this part of California and I started at my new job, um, it, and that was one of the first times I spoke to um, a bunch of unbelievers um, about Jesus and about, um, you know, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Or, you know, why, are, why are there so much sickness? And, and there, there's really not a good answer. Like I really mm-hmm. don't have a good answer except that God's got it. And we just have to trust that he has it all under control. And, um, it's really hard for people to accept. And I think, um, on Sunday it was brought up that faith is a muscle and we're all given a measure of faith. And it was a really great analogy. And we have to keep, the more we exercise, the bigger it grows, but also the bigger things we have to, the bigger opposition we come up against. We come up with more things that we require us to have a stronger faith. Mm. And so the more we're working, the harder the things are getting, but the stronger your muscle is growing. Um, so I think, I think you just have to continue to have faith and just pray that God reveals that to the people who are questioning with that. I, I think too that 
that people look at Jesus in the same way. They they think that, much like the disciples, they want him to be the answer. It's just the answer is not always the way that they think that it it should come. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's really like Peter's the perfect example of that. Like uh, poor Peter, he's been beat up, but I mean he's the the perfect example of that because you know he believes that it should be one thing. The one thing that I think I would add is that because of brokenness, like something has to change to repair the brokenness. And the only thing that could repair it was Jesus. The disciples couldn't see that. Peter couldn't see that. Jesus was trying to convey that, and this is like the first real opportunity that he has to be able to convey that that they're there is brokenness. Like everything that you're desiring, like physically is what he, like what Jesus is desiring spiritually. And so he's, he's concerned about what they can't see. And so it's, it's the first chance that he has to say, like, you're, you're experiencing brokenness, but it resulted from something before you. And the only way to, to repair that break is for me to do this regardless of whether you think it's the right thing or not. And so it's it's the it's an incredibly like um tough situation not that it's tough for Jesus, it's tough to try to explain that to people like there's it's hard like you know I I can't explain all these things but other than to say like it started with brokenness. The only repair to that is Jesus. Do I have all the answers in between? No. But if Jesus didn't do what he did, there'd be, it would just be continued brokenness. You know, earlier, Derek, you said um, that you had read that uh, Jesus's interaction with Peter in response to Peter um, and his like statement of get behind me kind of is reminiscent of his interaction in the wilderness in his times of temptation. And I think back to one of those temptations and one of them was the invitation for Jesus to bow and in so bowing be given the world, everything. And Jesus is like, no, <laughs> like that, that's, I, I am the son of God, right? That was, that came just before the temptations was this recognition that this is my son who I love this voice from heaven, the, the father saying this, so the Son of God does not bow to you to inherit everything. I already have, like, everything is mine that's promised to me in time. And I think that the reason why this so mirrors, like, his response to Peter so mirrors his response to Satan is the, in not the same words, Peter has just offered Jesus the same thing. Jesus knows that whether he knew it then or what, like that's neither here nor there, but Jesus knows now that the inheriting of the kingdom is by way of the cross. And so that is the the trajectory that his father has him on. And so that is the trajectory that he is going to be obedient to. And not that Jesus as the Messiah couldn't be a conquering king 
who calls down legions of angels and takes over the world. But that's not the plan that his father has laid out for him. And so by Peter saying, no, you don't have to die, Peter has offered up to Jesus the very same temptation that Satan himself offered up to Jesus, which was to circumvent the plan that the Father had for him to get the same end. And Jesus, remaining faithful and humbly submitted to his Father, again, overcomes that temptation in the midst of like the, the physical pressures that are going to weigh on him. Like, I'm sure he's not like, Oh yeah, sure. I'm just going to be crucified. This will be fun. Uh, and we know he in fact doesn't feel that way later in the garden, but like he, he says, I, I, I can't get with that. And this is the same level of resolve that we're called to follow him in. Right. Right. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, that speaks volumes to who we allow to speak into us. You know, if we're letting, um, if Jesus' response Mm. to somebody saying, um, oh, there's another way, and that good intended thought, um, and his response is, get away from me, and in NLT, because I have a different version than everybody else, I guess. Um, It's it's a dangerous trap to me. Um, But that just speaks volumes of who you let speak into you. Like, whether it's social media, whether it's people you hang out with, it's... it's, This is the foundation of the church speaking into him. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But even the foundation can get it wrong and become a block. Mm -hmm. We have to test, hold every thought captive. Whether it's, whether it's something that came from inside of us, whether it's something that's offered from an advisor, it could be, it could be, we talked about this, I think, yeah, I think we talked about this with regards to parenting, um, a few episodes ago, Derek, where you were sharing, you know, I may think I know what's best, you know, for, for my child's. And I think I have some pretty good ideas, but I'm not Jesus. And I don't always have in mind the will of the father. And I want to. And so you said your version said the way. And so that's what we have to be, pointers to the way. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, like I thought, how many people, how many pastors, how many like influential churchgoers have a platform? And they're pointing to things in a similar manner to, to Peter. like With good intentions. Well, good intentions. Mm-hmm. And yet... By doing that, we become the blind guides that we talked about. Like, we could point somebody, think we're, we can think we're pointing him in the right direction. Like, you know, but if it's not toward the way, and even still, like, we can't have all the answers, like you alluded to. Like, I can think I know what's best, but if I'm not communicating with God, there's a really great chance that it's not going to be what's best. Well, and even if you are, I mean, Peter knew he was the Messiah, so he can communicate that, but then he missed the definition of what that meant or played out. So he didn't check it all the way through. And I think it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to hear, oh, I got this word from Jesus. I'm going to share it. And then you just go a little bit further than what he actually had in mind. And now you've run ahead and you, you've missed it. And you've given advice to somebody who hopefully Mm. is going to take that and hold it captive and present it back to Jesus and say, Hey, is this you? Is this what you would have me do? 
but that's, that comes with, with practice and discipline of, of engaging in relationship with Jesus. And that's, I mean, that's what we're here trying to encourage people to do. But if you haven't done a good job up to that point of helping that person recognize that, and then you go a little bit ahead of Jesus, then you can create a whole mess. Not to say that Jesus can't clean the mess up, because going to the cross was his way of cleaning up the mess. But if we're not, it's a, it's the constant, like, making sure, does it meet what God's Word says? Like, God, is this what you would have me say? And, like, when you said that, like, not to say more. Like, it's okay to say what God says, but, man, how many times have I said more than what God says? That is scary to think about because it just takes a little more beyond, and then you've become no different than Satan. Hmm. And what was meant to be something good, you've unintentionally, you've, you've missed it. And that's, that's tough. There's a saying, the road to hell is paved, paved with, with good, good intentions. And this, I mean, I think this, this passage of scripture really speaks to that. And so we find ourselves, I feel like, in a place, as disciples of Jesus, we find ourselves in a similar place to where the 12 disciples found themselves at the end of this passage, where Jesus had invited them to come and follow him at the beginning of of his ministry, at the beginning of his time with them. And having redefined... Or, or provided the fuller definition, maybe not redefined, but the fuller definition of what it means for him to be the Messiah is now in this passage, he has, he has again invited them to come and follow him, follow him to the cross. Like they are to also do what he does and pick up their cross. And so I think being disciples today, we are the same invitation is being extended to us to come and, and follow him. And, and I think uh, I, I stole Brittany's Bible because it, it adds this extra statement um, in association with that. It says, if, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And so today I feel like the word take up your cross, maybe we don't fully understand the weight of, literally and figuratively. But we get that statement, you must give up your own way. We must be willing to to give up our own understanding of and ideas of what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to be a, a, a dad, to be, I mean, insert a title or understand, uh, like statement here, we got to be able to be ready and willing to give up our own understandings of those things and embrace Jesus's understanding of that thing that he gives us as we moment by moment turn to him, seek him and work to understand. So are we ready to give up our own way? Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.